Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. When I was laid off, as I said earlier, there was this epiphany about exits that this is not a skill I have ever seen taught or heard of anyone teaching anyone. There is this philosophy, there's books about how to pick your life up after divorce or deal with a death or bounce after, you know, being fired or laid off or whatever. But there's not anything that's really, here's how you do it well. And the 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 reason that this came to me was, People that have done exits badly are carrying this burden, this perception of themselves that is unnecessarily harsh. That was Jerry Suster talking about exits. What do you mean by an exit? Well, all good things come to an end, right? If you're experiencing some bad parts of life, you might say this too shall pass because we all know Nothing is indefinite. So how can we move on from things gracefully? That's the word she uses, and I love that term. That's what today's show is all about, at least a big part of it. We get into a step-by-step breakdown of how to better handle some of life's most difficult exits, such as leaving a job, ending a friendship, how you can, let's use a travel example, gracefully exit a traditional lifestyle to a nomadic lifestyle, something a lot of people in this listening audience are doing or have done. You'll get some insight around how to prevent ungraceful exits before they happen, a little preventative maintenance there, how to navigate difficult conversations, why everyone's definition of, quote, having it all is different. We discuss the inevitable exit we all face, of course, death, and travel, Got to be a topic on this show, right? In 2017, it became clear to Jerry that she needed to sell everything, buy an RV, and travel until she found her perfect tree-covered oasis. That's what she was looking for. This actually led to her her home base, and I love this idea of traveling till you find a place you love to settle down. That's something she did, and she shares her story around that, plus her biggest takeaways from life on the road, the challenges of living full-time in an RV, and much more, plus a powerful and simple way to boost any relationship in your life. And I'm going to give a shout-out as well to a listener that reminded me of a big lesson I wanted to share around making the leap 
to long-term or full-time travel. This one's definitely worth a reminder and a fantastic quote to wrap it all up on humaning, which was a new term I learned from this conversation. All that happening today and much more. Yes, it's happening right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now, your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Judging by the emails and some of the messages I've got recently, it sounds like the listeners here of this podcast are doing a a pretty bang-up job of filling their lives with travel. Whatever you're up to today, I want to thank you for your time, for being a part of this community, and invite you to get in touch. Jason at ZeroToTravel.com is my email. You can always drop me a voicemail as well. Those are my favorite to get. I get to hear your voice, and there's a link in the show notes where you can easily do that. Before we get into the interview today on graceful exits, which was a fascinating topic, and I found a lot of value here in discussing this because as we go through life, of course, it's filled with changes all the time, right? So if there's anything we can do to kind of prepare for those inevitable exits that are going to happen, sometimes we take these jobs or we go down these career paths, or we even might go into a nomadic life or something thinking, oh, I'm going to do this forever. I'm going to do this for so many years. But eventually, you don't do it anymore. And a big exit for me was exiting the United States to live as an expat. I didn't realize how much was going to be involved emotionally moving overseas and what some of the challenges were going to be. You can never predict all those things. But what's nice about a conversation like this is that we can at least create an awareness around it, get our heads around it, get a little advice, maybe do some things on the front end to set ourselves up for more graceful exits. And even friendships, things that you never think will end, they they do. Sometimes they run their natural course. Other times it might involve some tough conversations. So anyway, we get into all this today. And before we dive in, I do want to give a shout out to a listener who is making the big leap to a longer-term travel lifestyle. And there was a lesson I wanted to pull out from here I'm going to share. This shout-out goes to Sam, who wrote me an email, said, I currently work as a scientist living in London with my long-term partner, Holly, who currently works in financial services. During the latter half of 2021, we started discussing the possibility of long-term travel. Since then, we have been researching and planning the feasibility of such a trip, which has included listening to your podcast, which we have very much enjoyed as well as being extremely informative and useful. Thank you very much. (laughs) During the latter half of this year, we took the leap to make this trip a reality and have both obtained career breaks from our employers, have booked our flight to leave the UK for Bangkok in January of next year, and have given notice to leave our apartment in London. So huge congrats to them for kickstarting a long-term trip, a career break, doing it with a career break. I love that. This 
reminded me just looking at some of their timelines, which weren't crazy long, but you know, when you look at it overall, it's a good couple years leading up to the trip. It just reminded me, and I just wanted to throw this out there before we get into this episode in case you're listening and you need to hear this, whether it's travel or something else in your life, I, I need to be reminded of this as well. Things take time. And a lot of times they take longer than you think they will or longer than you want them to many times, right? Especially if you really want something like a career break or uh, you're ready to get out on the road and, and out of your traditional uh, job or whatever the case is. But this is all facets of life, right? Things take time. They just take time. So if you're working through things, you're working on things, you're working towards things, it takes time. Take a deep breath. Pust, as we say in Norwegian. That's Norwegian for breathe. Pust, breathe. And know it takes time and you're all good. <laughs> all right. With that said, enjoy this conversation with Jerry. And don't forget to stick around on the back end. I've got a great quote on humaning and... Also, I want to share a simple, powerful way to bolster or boost any relationship in your life. Show somebody you really care. So easy to do. So impactful. Stick around for that on the back end. Enjoy the chat, and I'll see you on the other side. What are you drinking there? Um, just some morning coffee, but it's in my, you can't see it, but with the hair, um, it's an RV entrepreneur mug that I got. Oh, yes. My friend Heath Paget. I know him. <gasps> you know Heath. Yeah. Oh my God. That's amazing. Of course Heath you do. What a small world. Yeah. Yes. They're in uh, Paris right now, I think. Yeah. 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 So I went to their second um, conference when I was on the road and just had a great time and met nice. a lot of great people. Well. I mean, we'll have to hear a little bit more about the RV community that you've discovered out on the road there. But are you in Bend, Oregon now? Is that? I, well, my sons live here, so I wanted to find my place. You know, I didn't want to be in Southern California anymore. And I thought I'd wander until I found my place. And um, I found my place, but I don't want to stop wandering. So I got both of my sons to move here inadvertently you know, secretly. So um, now I have a base in my, you know, favorite place and then I get to go explore. So it's best of all worlds. Well, isn't kind of wandering around to find a new home sort of the best way to find a new home? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> it was so funny. I had no idea I was going to, I've been five years on the road and people are like, are you done yet? I'm like, I haven't seen everything yet, so no. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did you know Bend was going to be home? Well, I have cousins here, so I came to visit, and I just knew when I left I wanted more trees, right? Like, I live in Southern California, and just, it's beautiful. I had an ocean view home. I was very blessed, right? I had a great career, but I was, it was either go back to corporate America or sell everything and go find your place, which was very scary um, as my kids were getting old. So I just I just said, I need more trees. And something inside was just going, get out. And I listened to it. And so people thought I was nuts. You'll never get back into Carlsbad, stuff like that. I was like, I'm here and I don't want to be here. So why would I want to come back? It's just weird. So uh, yeah, I just, um, I love Tahoe, but it was a little too crowded. 
and then I visited some um, cousins in Bend, and uh, they just uh, showed me all the little secret, lovely spots. And uh, it's there's water and trees. It's everything I could want. So yeah, it's mm-hmm. good. It's one of those places that. I've always wanted to visit because I know mm-hmm. I would love it and still have not made it there yet. It's it's surprisingly small, like 100,000 people. You know, it's not a big town, but um, there's certain amenities that are not available, you know, that I run into as shocking because I come from a bigger city. But it's great for all that those reasons as well, right? It's because you're 20 minutes from downtown, you can be on a river or on a lake or you know, at a mountain snowboarding or whatever. So it's lovely. Did you grow up in Southern California? I did. I'm an actual native San Diegan, second generation. And um, most of it was in Carlsbad. And uh, it was a cute little seaside village. And it, you know, I moved around the county. And then uh, when I got a divorce, I moved back and, uh, my kids went to the same schools I went to. Some of the people I graduated with were their teachers. I mean, it was just a lovely little community to roll my kids into. And then as they were getting ready to move out and be adults, I was like, hmm, that was good for my kids. It's not good for me, right? So, and it's, I mean, the blessings that have come onto my children, they're grown men, but you know, um, from getting out of that lovely, beautiful, suffocating Southern California affluent bubble have been just overwhelming. So, you know, diversity and uh, meeting different types of people and understanding, you know, different levels of struggle. And that's just been great for all of us, really, to be perfectly honest. Best decision I've made for there life path, I think. Really? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, I don't know, keeping up with the Joneses kind of scenario that doesn't fit everybody. And if you're not good at the things that um, are on that, you know, the hamster wheel kind of thing, if you fit outside of that, it can be very hard to navigate. And one of my sons didn't fit inside that bubble and um, one did. He was fine. He was. He did great and all that stuff. But the other didn't, and it became this um, kind of a trap. And uh, once he got out, he just flourished, and as did I. And and it's again, I'm not. It's a lovely place. It's not. It's not about that. It's just whether or not it forces you to grow in the right directions. I think. Hmm. So. Yeah. Have you heard the term hedonic treadmill? No. Oh, like hedonistic. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. that makes like sense. A, That's very much one. Yeah, pleasure after another. I guess is sort of the kind of idea that fits. I remember the um, garage. Wikipedia sale. would say or is saying it's the observed tendency of humans to quickly return to a relatively stable level of happiness despite major positive or negative events or life changes. Mm. So, yeah. Kind of interesting. There's a bit of a hedonic hedonic treadmill in uh, Southern California, maybe for some. For some, I have yeah. a lot of family in Southern California. I love Southern California. Same. So <laughs> I'm not uh, no criticizing anybody there. 
it's but, just when it. But there no is an longer... element of a keeping up with the Joneses type of mentality in every in places everywhere, you know, right. not just Southern California. But but you think that kind of mentality has gotten worse in some areas? Like, I believe that uh, social media certainly doesn't help. You know what I mean? In terms of look at look at. Uh, I just went to a wedding and it was stunning and it was beautiful and I was impressed that the bride and groom resisted. So much of the Pinterest, um, this is what it should look like kind of thing. It's still, it, but I just thought, wow, what a lot of pressure, especially, um, you know, a lot of USC graduates there, a lot of wealth there, and yet um, they really focused on making sure that it felt like family, right? And so I just... I think that that doesn't help. And I think when you live, Southern California is full of beautiful people that care about what they look like. There's a lot of pressure there. I mean, it just is. It's just a fact. And um, and living naturally and, you know, but all of that sort of, um, I don't know, there's a marketing behind it, right? So uh, it's, I've, I've talked to several people that felt like once they left, they could be them themselves right? They could, they could not have to submit to the pressures of what type of clothes you wear or how you look or, you know, that type of thing. So it's interesting. I live in a van by the river, so I get that (laughs) benefit anyway. (laughs) Well, the pressure thing is real, I guess, if you let it be real in your own life, right? It's true. That's, yeah. But sometimes a change of scenery or change of location either, yeah, can release that pressure valve or just makes you aware that it even exists in the first place. Sometimes, right. You know? Right. And I think as kids growing up in that, I don't think my kids knew they were living in it until they got out of it for sure. Yeah. And, well, especially uh, when you're younger, yeah, you, you just kind of know what you know. You're so impressionable and, and, if you haven't traveled a lot of places, it's hard to know what you haven't seen. It's hard to understand right. things you haven't seen. I mean, of course, with the internet and everything, you can see a lot more now than you could when, when we were growing up. But it, it's not the same as living it. <laughs> no, it isn't. And it was funny because the first um, weekend, they were – so they both my sons moved to Houston because one of my sons was going to school there. And the other one wasn't sure what he wanted to do yet. So um, – I left, this was first year in the RV, I left them there to go to Burning Man for the first time with my nephew and my sister, and that's when her and Kane Harvey hit Houston. So I'm out of touch for the first time with my children ever, probably, at Burning Man, and um, they're in the middle of a hurricane, their first hurricane coming from Southern California. I mean, it was just, talk about... Oh, we're in the real world now, you know, they were, but they did great. They were doing Mm. really great. Well, let's talk about your transition (laughs) to nomad life because (laughs) you had a long and seemingly successful corporate career, right? You Mm -hmm. lived in a very desirable location, Ocean View in California. something Mm -hmm. a lot of people would dream about. Uh, maybe not dream about paying the bills associated with that, but right. <laughs> <laughs> ding ding ding, yeah. <laughs> but in 2017, you 
you sold everything and bought an RV to travel. I would imagine that that whole process and that experience ties in a lot with the book and everything that you're doing now. Some of the lessons learned and time to reflect on on your life experiences and things like that. And we'll get into some of the content of the book here in a bit. But I I feel like the travel portion is a really important piece of your your story here. And maybe I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. But you are not wrong. <laughs> I mean, funny. what was that time yeah. like? Because you know. It's hard to say goodbye to a steady paycheck and a certain life and you're really, well, we'll use the, your word exiting from, from mm-hmm. a situation, although you might not have had the meta perspective on, on what that looks like, what that, you know, some of the processes or things to think about behind that at that time. But it sounded more like it was a, it was just a thing you needed to do. Talk about that time in your life. Like where, you know, where were you at in your career? And why did you decide to give it all up for this nomad life? Yeah, yeah, I get that. Um, So in 2014, I was laid off for the very first time in a very long career under some um, interesting circumstances. And it really... How politically correct. Interesting circumstances. (laughs) Well, no, it was um, a a dear friend of mine. I'd worked with this guy for, um, I don't know, 20 years. He's like a brother. Yeah. And so um, he begged me to come work for this new company. And I was in telephone directories forever. And that was on the decline. So I knew I needed to transition into a new field. And he was giving me this wonderful opportunity and, you know, all of the perks and benefits and as a COO and um, it looked great. And so after much, you know, struggle with leaving the people that I worked with, I just, I made the leap. And my job was to get the operations side set up and his job was to get the sales staff growing and um, revenue increasing like he had done a million times before in the telephone directory industry, but you know, it was a different time and a different field. So he wasn't able to do that. I did my job, but without sales, they couldn't afford me. And so it was the right decision to make hands down would have made the same decision myself. It's the how, not the what. And that's a big part of, of what I've learned in all of the exits that I've gone through and have observed and been a part of But this dear friend of mine, who's like a brother, couldn't, couldn't face me to to just give this news. So he called me on a Friday evening um, and just did it over the phone. And I was immediately locked out of all of the systems in the company, even though I had an employment agreement that guaranteed all these other things. They just sort of ripped off the bandaid because he was mortified. Right. And that, that, pissed me off, honestly, more than anything else was. And then I found out he flew to do it in person. He flew to where I was and then chickened out and, and left the city because he he felt so bad. And I just thought, wow. I mean, I, I consider myself a logical empath, right? So my heart aches for him in addition to being really ticked off. But then the process side of my brain is like, why? why does this happen? And then I looked back, like I had this epiphany after this one separation. 
that I was like, why are people so bad at this? And for whatever reason in my life, I've figured out how to be good at it because again, I guess I just, I'd never want to hurt somebody or disrespect somebody. So it was this, that's when the book idea formed, whether I realized it or not. But I just thought, man, we're so bad at exits. If this person who loves me like a sister can't just look me in the eye and sit with me for 30 minutes and say, this really sucks. I feel really bad, but this is happening. Then we we have a lot of work to do, right? We have a lot of skill to build and learning to do. So mm-hmm. that was the We're going to get advice it. on that, but uh, I'm just yeah, yeah. marking that. <laughs> putting a pin in it, as they say okay. in America, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, so so I left corporate America at that moment and then was sort of wondering what I was going to do. I did this great um, startup with my nephew who ended up doing really well with that. So that was like a fun project for me. He invented a product and sold it um, to GoPro. And uh, it was it was a magical ride. It was just one of those fun things. So doing that, raising my kids, trying to figure out what to do next. And I came to this point of you can go back to corporate America to um, fund this beautiful life that you've created and keep it going or something inside. It's like a seed had been planted and I don't know when, but it was this knowing of I'm not supposed to be here like in Southern California anymore. I need trees. That was really the knowing go find trees, which was weird. But, um, but I love the simplicity of that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I grew up at the beach my whole life. Well, which is lovely. I mean, people are going to, I don't know, they just think I'm crazy, but if you know it so well and you grew up in it and around it and you know, like you've, you've done all the things. So now what? Right. And, um, having gone to Tahoe every summer with my kids for like 12 years, I love that feeling lakes, trees, water. So that's what I knew I wanted, but I didn't know where it was. Let's pause for a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by us bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com altitude go to learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big! With the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card, visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic 
destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off-the-beaten-path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. With seven drive modes, the Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys, and it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds, so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there, and that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself, and that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Let's get back to the show. I just made the leap and um, I, was ta- I was talking to my therapist and I was terrified to tell her about this idea. And uh, somehow it just came out in one of our conversations. And she said, she was very like, what? Because she's a very practical person. And then I talked her through all of it. And she was like, well, if you're going to do it, you need to do it now because of where the real estate market is. You need to do it now. And so uh, that was January of 2017. And uh, the minute I put the house on the market, it was, I had multiple offers at above ask, you know, just ridiculous signs at the universe is like, yeah, this is what you're supposed to be doing. So by June 1st, you know, I sold everything. I, I gave some nice things to friends to hold on to or whatever, but I sold everything. And that was one of the happiest days was the garage sale. <laughs> because um, when you take all of your junk out and you lay it out on your friend's giant driveway, you know, she has a flat driveway, so we used hers. And you look at the 10 boxes of Christmas decorations and the, you know, just the junk, stuff that you haven't even used, right? It's just kind of disgusting, actually. But it was this, I remember feeling so free as every bag of clothes and shoes and sports equipment and video games and all of the things that make up a life or my life um, left. I was laughing my head off just in joy because I felt so light and so. Like literally um, driving yeah. behind the wheel laughing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was at, uh, so th- some ladies were at the garage sale and they're like, why are you laughing? What is this? And I'm like, this is what I'm doing. And they just like these were people that were entrenched in this community, right? And we're so like, we made it. We're here and like, they're just grasping on. This is what it felt like to me. We're like, oh my God, we got into this town and 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 I'm like throwing it all away and I'm out and they were, that was the woman that said, well, you'll never get back into Carlsbad. And I said, I, I if I wanted to stay, I would stay. I mean, I could, but um, so that those moments where, I was transitioning to this new lifestyle were so rewarding, um, affirming, I guess is what I want to say, because of how I felt inside. And having whatever it all (laughs) didn't feel that way. You know, that wasn't my definition of having it all, but I didn't realize that at the time. And I had outgrown whatever this was 
and I just knew it wasn't here. So sell everything. And then it was so funny because I had this, um, I knew I wanted to buy, buy an RV, but what do I know about RVs? I had rented one once. So I told my pool guy, I have this um, guy that cleaned my pool named Butch, and he's like an old vet with a limp and just a just a cantankerous, funny guy, right? So I was telling him that I'm selling the house, and he's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, oh, I'm going to hit the road and wander, and he just got so excited, and he said, can I help you buy your RV? I had a, like a little RV Sherpa under my nose the whole time. So he literally took me to the RV show and he, we walked through all the different took types. under and his wing and taught you everything did. you know. He That's did. Great. He talked me into buying a Class A. Shout out a. to Butch. Butch. Love Butch. <laughs> he taught me, he talked me into buying a Class A, 33 yeah. foot. And I was like, I'm thinking, you know, the little uh, C class, you know, that seemed safe. And he's like, no, you need the view. You need the big window. And so, uh, yeah, test drove it once and then, um, picked it up. It turned out that my, I had an SUV at the time that, um, was one of the last models you could tow behind an RV because of the transmission. Hooked that up. The first time I ever towed my car was the day I left town Oh, geez. going to Texas. Yeah. <laughs> That's always an interesting <laughs> recipe for road <laughs> stories. <laughs> yeah. The first night in the dark trying to unhook the tow car was funny, yeah. um, but we, 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 we survived. <laughs> well, I mean, what are, what were just a little bit more about that? And I want to get into the book stuff, but what were the challenges of that lifestyle, you know, mm. over the years? Because the, the glamorous picture, of course, is not what we do here on the on the podcast. You know, <laughs> I mean, it's like, yes, well, of course, you sell everything, you hit the road, and then life's great. But we all know that that you know, you're still got to live your life, and yeah, it sounds like in your case, you you said you were you had it all, but like what it, it all was not really what you wanted. It's not that uh, you had it all and you wanted more. It was like I have it all, but it all is not really the thing I want. So uh, I'm just gonna hit the road, and yeah, that, that opens up a whole. <laughs> uh, not just a world of possibilities in terms of where you put your physical body, but I think it also gives you the, of course, mental space to do some exploration and, and things like that because everything is sort of wide open, right? But that comes with its challenges because that can be a bit stressful too. Like, uh, uh, what, you know, Well, there's the day-to-day stuff like where am I going to sleep? Where am I going to go? And you have to make a lot more decisions than you do in your regular life, but also just the idea of you know, how much pressure do you want to put on yourself of like, where should my life go versus just kind of going from place to place? And I'm, I'm sure, I don't know, was it like a mixed bag for you or tell me? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was overwhelming is, is okay. the biggest part of that because like you said, there's the logistics of it. You know, everything was new. Yeah. The only thing that was familiar was my tow car because I've been driving that before. But everything you had never else- lived the nomad life before, and now you're in an RV and you're just like, this is a whole new world. And I have, right. I don't know what I'm doing except for what I read and people that I <laughs> talk to about this. Right, right. <laughs> so I had gone. I have two dogs that again didn't live RV life either. So I took them with me, and one of them um, solo. This was sort of a joke that this was his bucket list trip because he was aging out and he hadn't really done anything in his life. And um, so I was like, okay, we're going to do this. But you know, they're like, what the heck is happening? So there was that. There was the fact that I had to figure out all of the systems on the RV by myself because, again, I'm going by myself. And um, 
And then there's the logistics of where am I going to stay tonight? And then I've got, you know, the, oh, let's look at the little lady back in the 33 foot (laughs) RV into the tiny little spot. Like there's like these old guys crowding around like, Good job. Yeah, well, that's like a big, uh, big happening at the <laughs> campground, right? <laughs> it was hilarious. And then uh, I had um, a woman come up to me one time and she goes, I can't believe you did that by yourself. Like you're a badass. And I was like, really? I, I don't know. It was just a, it's just a very mixed bag. And, but um, it, it was, where do I want to go? And, and I, a lot of people will go, okay, we're going to do this trip. We're going to plan it all out. We're going to spend a year on the road. Mine was open-ended. I had no place to go back to. So then it becomes the the reality is there are life events that require you to be in certain places at certain times. So while I I initially am like, I'm going to, you know, have this great plan and map it out. Then it was, I don't know, a couple months after I was on the road, my sister's like, oh, I'm getting married. So you need to come back. And then um, one son that was in Houston cause I dropped them off first and then I hit the road and, um, one son was like, I'm going to go to Utah. All right. So I'm gonna go help you move to Utah. <laughs> and then, you know, so it was, it was a little fits and starts. And then there was burning man, which was, um, a whole, and again, my nephew calls me and he goes, I think we should go to burning man, auntie. You're on this spiritual journey. And I thought it was like Coachella had no idea what burning man was, but I was in a place the first year I committed to saying yes to as much as possible which was terrifying because I didn't know what was going to come to me. But I was like, I'm just, it was all about overcoming fear for me, honestly, when I look back on it, because I, I don't know why, but I know I needed to grow. I needed to stretch beyond where I was at. And this adventure was going to help me do that. So I had said, I want to say yes to as many invitations as possible. So the first one that came in was Burning Man. I'm like, yeah, let's go. Brand new RV. Okay, to Burning Man. And if you know anything about Burning Man, you never take anything new because it will never be new again. <laughs> um, but I would do it, I would do it again and again because it was amazing. We went two years in a row. Um, but then it was, hey, you want to go to a NASCAR race in Pennsylvania? Okay. So, you know, it just became opportunities that popped up and that dictated my travels for the first year. And it felt a bit like a mad dash. And that's one of the things that I think people who take this up realize if they're going to be doing it longer than a fixed window is you have to pace yourself (laughs) if you want to enjoy the life. Because I was dashing from one place to the next. So just running on like, joy and curiosity and wonder and and certain responsibilities and that became exhausting you know like and you I wasn't really in, immersing myself in a place so the second year I started slowing down and really um enjoying the places that I was visiting but it was people ask me often like have you ever been afraid that's the biggest question I get is, especially as a woman by yourself, are you afraid like there's bad people out there? And what is strange, I know this isn't everyone's experience, but the only times I've been truly afraid are only a couple and it's because I did something wrong. Like I screwed up and I put myself in a situation that had nothing to do with other people. Actually, there were no other people around, which is why it was scary because I didn't have any help. But 
one time I pin, almost pinned myself between the tow car and the RV because I forgot to put the tow car in park. And so it was, I was literally holding the tow car up from r- rolling onto me. There was no, I was in the middle of nowhere. And so it was like, I, I remember my first reaction was I'm looking around like, who's going to help me? And then I was like, that would be you. You would help you because that's all I had. And sure enough, pushed the tow car back and got the thing in the right place and scared the crap out of myself. But, you know, we figure it out. And so when people ask me, aren't you scared? And I'm like, only if I do something silly, really, so far. And um, what I have found to be true is that people are incredibly kind when you look them in the eye and you're face-to-face in person. And um, I can't tell you the number of times, even unwanted, people will come up and go, do you need help with that (laughs) or whatever because I'm by myself. And and it, and even if I don't need help, it's a lovely way to meet people, right? And they're usually kind. But yeah, so that was the the journey was about challenging myself and growing, and and really just fully on instinct, like some internal knowing, not on any clear master plan, which was kind of funny. Except I just need to be someplace else. And what is true about all of that is that I would never have put this book out if I hadn't done this trip or this life, because I was, if, when I lived in Southern California, I was too afraid of what everybody else thought to put some of these stories out into the world and to, to put myself out there like that. And by traveling this way and challenging myself, I finally was like, I, first I finished the book, which took quite a while, but most of it was because I wasn't ready. I didn't feel brave enough to put it out into the world, but finally did. <laughs> the traveling was part of the thing that gave you the courage to kind of push forward with it. Yeah. Did, did it give you the, I guess the confidence to accept yourself as somebody who could write a book like this and put it out there? Cause that's part of it, right? It's like just almost giving yourself permission to be the thing that you 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 really want to do yeah. in that moment at least. Yeah. And um I just felt more confident on so many levels being able to navigate this lifestyle and um do something that was unconventional and um and spend a lot of time with myself, right? After being a mom for 20 years, it's never about you, right? And so there was a lot of just getting back into um, what I want, what I think, how I feel. Um, and it's a it's a reacquainting, you know, of yourself. And Dating honestly, yourself again. Basically, way, right? yeah. Well, I mean, it's not like you're not a mom anymore, but you're not, you want, when your kids leave, then you're sort of on the day-to-day basis, you're, you're not kind of. Yeah. You know, your life isn't you are, filled with but, all of the tasks. Oh, I'm a hundred percent always a mom. Right. Mama bear to the day I die. But, That's absolutely. Um, but you know what I mean? On, on yeah. just a day-to-day, like you, all of a sudden you have time. Well, I mean, that's one of the big exits in life, right? Your kids leaving. Let, let's talk about 
the book because I think we're getting into some of those themes now. We've already been getting into them. <laughs> and, you know, why did you write this book about exits? I know it just kind of came to you. And, and maybe you can just explain to people what you mean by an exit and an entrance because entrance was the term that you used in the book as well, I believe. And what you mean, sort of your philosophy around that. So then we can dig into some advice on maybe a graceful exit for uh, somebody trying to leave their job and, yeah. you know, some of the other stuff that you write about. Yeah, for sure. When I was laid off, as I said earlier, there was this epiphany about exits that this is not a skill I have ever seen taught or heard of anyone teaching anyone. There is this philosophy, there's books about how to pick your life up after divorce or deal with a death or bounce after, you know, being fired or laid off or whatever. But there's not anything that's really, here's how you do it well. And the 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 reason that this came to me was the people that have done exits badly are carrying this burden, this perception of themselves that is unnecessarily harsh. And I think when we exit badly because we don't know how to exit well, we cause damage. We create shame. We think of ourselves as less than. And I've talked to people decades later who, when you bring up the exit that they did badly, will still cry about it, still carry this regret and guilt and it's 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 crazy to me that that is still happening we have we have skill building on almost anything but no one really talks about exits will happen whether you like it or not we just live in denial that they're going to come like it's never going to happen to my marriage or my friendship or um there's even denial around our pets dying which is kind of one of those you know it's coming, right? But um, I, when I had this epiphany, I was like, look, nobody wants to write a book about exits. That's when I was a little kid, I did not dream about writing a book about exits. You know, it was like I was going to be a next great novelist or whatever. And then it just wouldn't let me go. This, it just kept, I literally would wake up in the morning and grab my phone, hit the voice recorder, and it would just spew out of me because it was so, I don't know, it was just so um, obvious to me that this was something that we were lacking. And so when we talk about exits, you know, the book is in four, five major sections. Um, they talk about personal relationship exits. So this is ending friendships, um, romantic relationships, and you know, letting your children go. And the format is we talk about fail stories where this is what not to do. And then we talk about um, the better way. So here are stories from my life or other examples where this is what a graceful exit looks like. But then I also talk about prevention. So because nobody wants an exit, right? Or a, definitely an ungraceful exit. And so how do we prevent that from happening? So no matter where the reader is in terms of why they're coming to this book, there there is a way, like I'm afraid that an exit might come. 
there's something for that, right? Um, and a lot of that prevention has to do with the entrance in a relationship, right? If we set up a relationship well in the beginning with the right expectations and that type of thing, then the exit is automatically more graceful if you follow through on what you set up. So that's the first section. The second section is professional. So from my years of experience, I we did um, it in the telephone directory company I worked for, we did 57 acquisitions in a 10-year period. So the industry was consolidating and we were taking on a lot of companies, which meant a lot of the operations staff couldn't be retained because we had um, our consolidated production office. So a lot of layoffs got really creative and good at doing them in a way that was um, better. So, but also just, you know, firing, quitting your job, um, that type of thing, performance management, that's all in there uh, in the professional section. The third section is what I call humaning. I stole this from Glennon Doyle. Um, and it's just sort of how we live our life. And we talk about um, my exit from a traditional lifestyle to a nomadic lifestyle. I talk about a gentleman I met at the RV Entrepreneur Summit, uh, Drew, who is a transgender man, and he was kind enough to share his story about how he exited one way of being to another way of being and how he told people about it. We talk about how a medical diagnosis can cause you to exit one way of living to a dramatically different way of living and how to negotiate that. And then the fourth section is unhumaning, and that's all about facing the final exit and um, how we miss opportunities to really connect and find a massive amount of beauty if we are brave enough to face the final exit of those we love. It's one of the hardest things you can do, but it's also just one of the most rewarding if you can show up for that. And um, yeah, so, and then there's a fifth section about exceptions because what is true is that there are certain situations where the process I described for a graceful exit is just not the right process. So for example, if you're in an abusive relationship, you, you know, you're not going to hold space for the other person as you're telling them that you're leaving. You just need to get out. So we talk about what graceful looks like in these unique situations. Okay. And so, yeah, yeah, that's the gist. Yeah. Thank, thanks for that breakdown. Uh, I want to get some advice on a couple of these topics that may resonate with some people listening because it seems to be a popular trend on the Zero to Travel podcast that people quit their jobs to travel <laughs> or to start working remotely or, you know, set their location independent business up or whatever the case is. So advice around a graceful exit from a career. What would you say to somebody listening who's, you know, trying to figure out all of the stuff around leaving a job and maybe going nomadic like you did or just taking a gap year or something in between or something else? Well, the great news at this moment in time is that employees have more leverage than they have had in the past in terms of um, staffing being such an issue for business owners. So the first step 
in a graceful exit is to get really clear on what you want. If you're exiting, what do I want? Why do I want it? And then give your boss the opportunity to see if they can meet you there. If you like your job, if you hate your job and you don't want anything to do with those people anymore, that's a different animal. We'll get to that in a second. But if you like what you do, but you just don't think they're not going to be willing to let me have a year off a sabbatical or to work remotely, I say, give them the chance and come to, come to them with a proposal, but put yourself in your boss's shoes. What are they going to be worried about? And how are you going to overcome that concern? And so often, you know, it's just so much more expensive to replace a good employee than it is to accommodate one that's already here and you know their work ethic and how they show up in the world and that kind of thing. So give your boss the chance to meet your new needs. And one of the things that I talk a lot about in the book as an ongoing um, prevention tool is have regular conversations with your employer on what your goals are. So what does not make a graceful exit is if it's a surprise for any exit, right? We want to minimize surprises as much as possible. So if you've been having ongoing conversations with your boss about, wow, and I really feel like I need to, you know, do this or get away or take this sabbatical, it, it won't be a surprise when they, when you come to them. And so they've already done some processing, which is a big part of them moving to acceptance more quickly or coming up with creative ideas. But if it is a surprise, you just may have to do a little bit more work to keep it as graceful as possible. And there are degrees of, you know, what you're willing to do and we have to make those decisions. But notice is a huge part of this. So to say, you know what, I'm taking off for a year and Friday's going to be my last day. That's not a, that's not graceful. <laughs> that's not the manager, your boss, the owner, whoever is going to be, um, inconvenienced, maybe hurt, depending upon your relationship, you know, because their bosses are humans too. And they first want to know, what did I do wrong that this employee is leaving? Because it's personal, whether we like it or not. And how am I going to replace them? These are the two biggest concerns. And how much time do I have to do that? So if you can accommodate those concerns in how you exit, it's going to go a lot better. And not many people are going to be upset at an employee who wants to go do something amazing in their life, right? So that's on your side. But how surprised are they? How much notice do you give? And um, how much information do you have about who could possibly pick up your slack if you're leaving? Um, that's going to help go a long way to make the exit more graceful. Yeah, that's great advice. We'll be back right after this. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years. 
I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks. So they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now back to the show. I have to say I love the use of the word graceful here. I mean, you could have picked a lot of different words there, but I think, you know, if you said something like a confident exit, let's say, I mean, that <laughs> that is good, but that's more for that person who is exiting whereas i think graceful is is something that benefits both parties right is that sort of the thinking behind this idea of graceful exits is this kind of like for everybody right absolutely because if it's only you know some of us that are uh very people pleasing will go to the point of hurting ourselves to make sure that the other person is okay like we'll give up things that we don't need to give up, right? So it it has to be mutually graceful. And that's a really big part of the consideration is um, how do I get what I need and how do I also understand and accommodate your needs? And somewhere in the middle is that sweet spot that we're going for. But also um, part of the graceful came from we're so obsessed with graceful entrances, right? Like that's a thing. That's a how you show up, how you show up for the interview, how you show up on your first date, how you show up, you know, on your wedding day. And, and there's just, there are industries built around this, but, um, the exits are usually just crash and burn or, you know, ghosting or, um, people get notified that they've lost their job over email these days, which is just, that gets me really upset because, um, we dehumanize the other person when we treat them that way. And it's honestly because creating an exit for another human being is a horrible thing to do. It feels horrible on the other side of the table and we don't know how to sit with that. And that's one of the things I hope we can, if I can convince people that if you can sit with that, you know, and show up and hold space for that person, you can walk away, you can still walk away and you can walk away without the added baggage of shame and guilt because you disrespected that human in that interaction because you didn't know how else to do it. If we can fix that, I'm feeling pretty good about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that your boss who flew out there and never told you face to face still is still probably thinks about that from time to time. Maybe well, he more. does. Cause I went back and I, um, <laughs> I, that's what I, you mean by carrying the albatross of shame yes. in a way, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I asked him, I said, you know, um, I told him I was writing this book 
And I said, uh, but before we get into that, do you ever think about how you initiated that exit? And he immediately said, I cried about it the other day. And this is seven, eight years later. And, and I did the same with my ex-husband after our divorce. I took him to lunch because that story's in here and I felt the need to tell him. And uh, I took him to lunch and I said, before we get started, I just want to ask you, do you ever think about how our marriage ended? And he said, I think about it every day. Immediately, he said, I think about it every day. And I was like, every day? <laughs> He's like, because I don't think about it every day. And so he was like, yeah, every day. I think about that. And I just thought, God, what a waste. What a waste for these people who, again, it wasn't that the end shouldn't have happened. It should have, but it was the how. And I just feel like if those people had a path or a way or had been taught, just the years that were wasted feeling terrible about themselves, it could be avoided. I just what a gift that could be, you know? That's really where a lot of this came from. What about a friend, let's say, family member might be more difficult, but say an unsupportive friend or a friend who you've, you know, known for a while, but now you've changed or they've changed or whatever, and they're just not really somebody that's, you feel like maybe at this time in your life that they're not somebody that you should be spending time with you, you know we're, we gotta we have only so much time so I think as you get older especially you start to be a little more selective with the people that you spend time with and you want to make sure that yeah they're they're your people and they're they're making you feel good and all that good stuff so I mean there's a lot of nuance here of course I think everybody knows what I'm talking about everybody's had experiences like this or relationships like this in life so what would you be your advice there because that's a hard thing to do. I think there was a Seinfeld episode about this once, right? Like trying to break <laughs> up with a friend or something. I don't know. It sounds like a Seinfeld episode, but yeah, for sure. It's complicated because there are assumptions that the people that we accumulate in a lifetime are going to be with us forever. That there's just this sort of bottom line assumption to that. And what you said is exactly true. We grow out and away and in different directions. Um, and I so, think that starts in childhood because, well, if you grow up in one place and you're kind of all stuffed together in one building and you're just together, you just kind of assume you'll always know those people. And then yeah. you realize later that that's not the case, of course. <laughs> yeah. If you show up at your 10 year reunion, you're like, whoa, that's, <laughs> yeah. Um, so what is true is that if we have friendships and, and we, do the work. It's like tending a garden, right? If you do the work to maintain them, even if it's we go have coffee a couple times a year and we catch up on each other's lives, that's where you start to see the diversion happen. Like, you know, this person starting to go in a, in a direction that is concerning in terms of our compatibility. That, those are the opportunities. And this is what we miss, I think, so often is to have a conversation about that. The moment that we see the diversion happening, like really, wow, that's surprising to me. Having known you for so long, um, I always assumed or believed that you were, you believed in this or whatever, if it's a, if a, di- a difference of ideas. We've certainly had a lot of friends and families um, 
go in different directions in the last five years because of what's happening on the media and politically and all that stuff, which is very difficult because we've all experienced it. There's someone that you just go, what? What? You believe? Okay. So again, those conversations happening face-to-face, one-on-one over coffee or a hike or whatever, that's where the magic happens. And so if you're doing that, if you're maintaining your garden, then it becomes really clear and you can have those conversations. And people, I want to encourage people to be brave enough to have those conversations in a way that is loving and not you, blah, blah, blah. You not know, like, judgmental. Right. But but yeah. coming from your perspective of, I'm surprised, I'm hurt, I'm whatever, you know, using the I language to explain where this rift is starting. So that's the that's the preventing and and you can see it happening and so if it comes to pass eventually that we're just not on the same page it's going to be obvious it's not going to be a surprise right it's when and and I have a story in the book where I did this with a friend and um I just like couldn't deal with what she was doing to herself and so I just dropped out of her life because I didn't understand, first of all, why was this triggering me so much? And second of all, how can I tell her what's bothering me about her life without being judgmental about her yeah, life? Right. That That's the big trick, right? Yeah. Because as a yeah. friend, you're supposed to accept your friend for who they are. Right. And I was kind of doing my own work going, what is this? Why is this so triggering and all that? And so when I finally figured it out, meanwhile, I had been ghosting her and avoiding her and just being a really bad friend, I just finally had to take her to coffee and say, this is what's happening. And to see the look on her face when she realized it wasn't really about her, it was about me, I felt so terrible because she had obviously been, what did I do? What did I do? You know, like, where did it go wrong? And um, she hadn't done anything. I had changed, right? And so part of that is, again, going back to the basics of a graceful exit is why? Why is this exit happening? You have to get really clear on that. Will it be a surprise to them? And if it is, then you need to do some work, you know, to, and that's okay, but you need to sit with them, talk to them, give them the opportunity to, if they're doing something offensive, um, to correct or not. And then it becomes easier to decide we're going different paths. But often we just drop out. And when we drop out of somebody's life, like the guilt that I felt knowing I had ghosted my friend, that was not sustainable and to a happy life, right? So I had to ask myself, what's more painful, having a difficult conversation or carrying this burden with me for the rest Mm -hmm. of time? You Mm -hmm. know, that is just not acceptable. So choose your pain, right? Choose your pain wisely. The prevention chapters or the prevention sections, I think is a a great idea. And and you have advice there in the book, but nobody can prevent the final exit, right? (laughs) I I can't imagine you have any advice for keep ourselves alive. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But no, but I, I, you know, death is of course something that I think in Western culture, it's not talked about too much. It's not like it's taboo to talk about, but it's difficult. The conversations uh, aren't flowing, let's say, when it comes to 
death. So what is it that you wanted to say about a grace, the ultimate graceful exit, let's say, from your perspective? We Just looking for your best advice here on this. Yeah, yeah. Well, the biggest thing I can say based on the experiences I've had is keep your relationship, your spiritual house clean throughout life. Because I've had both instant death and known death coming, right? So uh, a terminal diagnosis, and then um, my father just died instantly. So experiencing both of those, there's a qualitative difference. And, and with someone that dies suddenly, it's just you've stuck a pin in it, right? <laughs> like there, you, there's no fixing it. There's no cleaning stuff up. And so if we keep the people that we love um, if we keep our relationships with them clean, meaning we're saying our love yous, we've cleaned up any old business in terms of resentments or whatever, then if that happens, we're as good as we're going to be, right? We've, we create memories with those people. We invest in them. We tend our garden. Um, that's as, that's as much as you can hope for. Because any of us, that could happen to any of us on any given day. And the assumption that we have more time is a false assumption. It just is. So that's the biggest advice I have. And then if you, the second piece is if you know someone that is aging out or um, terminally diagnosed or, or potentially terminal, all you have to do is show up. It's the scariest thing to do. You don't have to know what to say or how to be or what your face should look like. You just have to show up for that person. And the rest, I promise, will take care of itself. And if you show up, there is untold beauty. I know this sounds crazy, but there is untold beauty in being present for the final exit. And I just was able to do this with my brother-in-law this year. and. He is the role model for a graceful final exit. And he let me interview him. And the publisher let me throw this into the book at the last minute because it was just one of the most beautiful exits I've ever seen. This man held space for, he, he insisted on telling everyone that he loved, that he was dying. And then he held space for them as they processed the news. And it's just such a beautiful story. And um, he did not miss a single blessing that came to him because of the diagnosis. He acknowledged them. He soaked them in. They marveled at them. And he ended his life with such joy and such um, gratitude and love for the people in his life. It was, it, it's the way it should be. And, um, there's really not much more I can say other than his story um, is kind of the role model. And, you know, we all have different capacity for that, right? So I'm going to talk about showing up and sitting with all the hard stuff. And and some people are just going to go, I, I can't, I can't do that. And I get it because I've been there. And do as much as you can to the edge of your capacity or slightly beyond in facing this because it's terrifying. But you will regret it if you don't try. That's what I know for sure. 
right? And so we talk about suicide in the book, which is also a very difficult type of final exit that um, I'm hoping we can destigmatize even more, although it's getting better. But um, I had some really generous people come to me with their stories about what it's like to survive a family member who died by suicide. And there's some great learnings in there and some great understandings, I think, for people that um, have gone through that or are possibly facing that, that I hope, that I hope can help people because it's a, that was definitely the hardest part to write. Mm. What is the biggest lesson you learned writing this book? What did, what did you learn about yourself writing this book? I learned that for whatever reason, this is part of why I'm here. And of course I want to help people. I want us to change the way that we look at exits and approach building skill and ultimately make the world a better place. But what I also learned is that sometimes we're given an assignment. This is what I believe. And we sign a contract before we get here or whatever it is. And it's our job to show up for that. It's our opportunity. We can also say no, right? And there was a time where I was saying no to this. And I read, I think it was Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. And it was talking about how if you don't take on the opportunity that's presented to you in this lifetime, somebody else will. You know, this art, this this idea or whatever it is that comes through us. If you don't, somebody else will. And the moment I heard that, everything inside me was like, oh, hell no. I better get on this. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Because I was like, look, do the work, whatever that work is, just do the work to put this thing out into the world because this is one of the things you're supposed to do. And to anybody else that feels like they've got this thing that they have to do, whether it's travel or a book or an adventure of some sort in this lifetime. My experience is that it's worth it a million times over. You know, I've been on this ride and because I said yes to it, I don't know what I'm doing half the time. We joke that we're building the plane as we're flying it, you know, I've never been an author before. And there's a whole bunch of things that I now suddenly have to know and do and which is great. I mean, it's, it's a blessing, but, um, when you stop getting in your own way and you let whatever it is flow through you, you're in alignment, whatever you want to call it. It's so much fun. Life is so much fun. And it, there's a lot of uncertainty. You know, I think back, I could be back in Southern California and in my little nest and, you know, quote unquote safe, but that's just an illusion really, right? Like I'm, uh, I feel safe in my little home on wheels, you know, and I feel safe out among people in the world because I've exposed myself to it. And that is, um, that's a really wonderful lesson to feel safe in the world as yourself, by yourself, 
I think that's um, that's probably the biggest thing I've learned. Hmm. Thanks for sharing that, and thanks for sharing everything you have today, Jerry. It's <laughs> been a wonderful conversation. I would encourage you to please share right now with everybody where they can find all the goodies and. Uh, of course, your website, gracefullife.com. We'll link to that in the show notes. But anything else you want to share here, go for it. Thank you. Well, on um, gracefullife.com, we will have a um, exits intelligence survey that you can take. So you can get a score on like, how are you doing with your exits across all of the different areas of your life? And then we'll have some um, tips on how to improve. So uh, if you head to gracefullife.com, you can take that. And then also, obviously, like if you're interested in the van life side of things, because I'm no longer in an RV, I'm in a self-converted Sprinter van for the last two years. Um, so I'm, I'm just getting smaller and smaller as we go, which I love. Um, but uh, certainly on Instagram, at Jerry Reed Suster is uh, where you can find all that good stuff. But um, there's some blog on the website too that shares a little bit about that. Awesome, Jerry. Thank you so much. You know, I, we we started chatting right away. I never said, uh, Jerry, <laughs> welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You know, anybody listening, they have to say that. So even though it's the end of the show, <laughs> Jerry, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Now we're going to let you go. Uh, <laughs> it must be Thank like some you. kind of weird podcaster OCD thing, but it's super early in the morning for you. So I hope you enjoy your day. I hope this was a great start to your day. Certainly was, was a highlight of my day. Really appreciate it you and the work you're doing and the fact that you, you know, you listened to that voice and you, and you worked through it and put this thing out there before somebody else could, I guess. Right. <laughs> I just love uh, the messaging around uh, graceful exits and, and yeah, everything you shared today was super helpful. So thank you so very much for your time and look forward to staying in touch. Thank you. Take care. There you have it. I want to thank Jerry for stopping by the show. Had a great time chatting with her. Hope you enjoyed the conversation as well. If you want to get a better understanding of what type of exeter you are and get tips for improving your exit skills, I left a link for that in the show notes. And you can, of course, pick up the book as well. So thank you again, Jerry. Now, before I let you go, a couple things. First of all, this simple way to boost any relationship in your life. I've said it before. I'll say it again because it goes a long way. Handwritten letters. Underutilized, in my opinion. We get Christmas cards or holiday cards and things like that with a little handwriting sometimes. But how often do you get a letter in the mail from a friend? This is something I like to do occasionally. And uh, like everything else in this show, <laughs> I bring it up because... It reminds me to do it myself. In fact, I have been meaning to sit down and write a good friend of mine a letter and send him something in the mail. And it's sitting right here. I just need to sit down and take the time to write the letter and send it out. And I'm going to commit right here to doing that within the next seven to 10 days, I'll say. So if you want to take on a challenge, if you want to make a commitment here yourself back to me, I'll just pretend like I can hear you. You know, you can always leave me a voicemail on my voicemail box and let me know. Hey, just commit to sending a close friend a letter. It doesn't have to be long. It can be half page, a paragraph. 
Nice handwritten letter. So nice to get. So easy to do. Shows you spent your time to care. And it's really nice to get some thoughts out. As we touched on in this interview today, you know, the ultimate exit is there for all of us any day. So even though it's easy to put off telling somebody how you feel about them, what they mean to you, what maybe some jokes you shared 10 years ago that still make you laugh, whatever they meant to you in your past life, maybe they helped you out in some way, whatever they mean to you now, it's nice to let people know. It's great. So feel free to go ahead and do that. Great, simple, powerful way to just make a connection with people that matter in your life. There you go. Now, I'll leave you with a quote. This one on humaning, you heard it mentioned in the interview, and Glennon Doyle said this. Quote, sometimes we get so focused on adulting that we forget humaning. Adulting is getting dressed up, sending the mail, making the appointments, running the meetings and the washing machine, making the deals and the lunches. Adulting is stuff we got to do. But when we only adult, we forget why life is amazing. Life just becomes one long to-do list. So we got to remember, while we're adulting, to human. Humaning is pausing, playing, reading, singing, hugging, laughing, crying, sighing, resting, breathing, forgiving, remembering, sitting, taking a moment out to look and listen and taste and feel. It's when we remember that we're human beings, not human doings. Adulting is necessary, but humaning is why we're here. Once again, that was Glennon Doyle. Love that. Absolutely love that. So maybe we'll have to get Glennon on the show next. (laughs) There you have it. Wrapping it up. Hope you have a wonderful day humaning out there, wherever you are in the world. Please get in touch if you have a moment. And thanks for your time. Thanks for being a part of this community. Thanks for being you. I'll see you next week. Peace and love to you and yours. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.